Good morning, church. All right, today's scripture reading is from Revelation uh, as we start the um, a new uh, series. Uh, it's um, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, and then chapter 2, 1 to 11. So if you've got the Bible, you can read with me. Um, follow me. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before for his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye would see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on the account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom of the patient endurance that are in Jesus, who was on the island called Patmos, on the account of word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamon, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicean. Then the next is Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the churches in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lambs. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of Nicolaitans, whom I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angels of the churches in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your, and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who says that they are Jews and are not, 
but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I missed seeing you guys last Sunday for our service. Uh, I don't know about you, we had a great house church service at our house. Uh, I hope you guys were part of a great house church service too. And the picnic afterwards was awesome. Can we give one more huge round of applause and thank you to Junga and Misa and Boram and Nari for all the hard work they did to prepare the games and activities and just make that such a great time for everyone. It was great. And this week we have a new year and we're starting a new sermon series. It's probably the most nervous I've been for any sermon series I have preached at the bridge or anywhere. Uh, We are, for the next nine weeks, gonna be working our way through the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And if you know anything about the book of Revelation, you know that it's really hard to understand. And it's confusing, and a lot of people just don't know what to do with it. And so it's quite common for people to just skip it, not worry about it, focus on the other books that are easier to understand. And even among people who think they understand the book of Revelation, there are so many wildly different interpretations of it that are given that it can be easy to wonder, can a normal person like me actually make any sense of this book? And I believe the answer is yes, which is why we're going to be working through this book in the coming weeks. God, in his infinite wisdom and power, chose to include this book in the Bible for us. And God, through the Holy Spirit, equips us, if we're Christians, to be able to read and understand this book. And so God has a plan to work in us and shape us into the people that he wants us to be as we read and study through the book of Revelation. Now, a quick note, nine weeks is nowhere near enough time to go into great depth in the book of Revelation. It's going to be a very high-level overview of the book that we do. We'll cover multiple chapters worth of material each week, which means in the sermons, I'm going to be covering key themes. I'm going to be giving tools that can help you if you want to go deeper in your study of this book to be able to read it and understand it on your own and to help you be able to go deeper in your study on your own. We've put together a little booklet, uh, an introduction to the book of Revelation. This gives you some tips on how to read the book, answers to some of the bigger questions about the book. It's available on our website, thebridgechurch.hk slash resources dash TBC. You can snap a photo of that if you want to find it, or just go to our website, thebridgechurch.hk, and click on the resources tab. Um, But this booklet, it also includes a reading plan if you want to be able to read along and follow with what we're going to be looking at each week in the upcoming sermon. So I encourage you, go online, download that, read through it as you study the book of Revelation in the coming weeks. And I also expect that many of us will probably have questions about the book of Revelation as we go through this series. I've tried to answer some of the big ones in this booklet, but I also realize even the answers may give you more questions. So if you have questions as we go through this series, I want you to feel free to ask. Uh, You can email me. You can send me a text message. We've printed out some little pieces of paper on the back table. You can just write out your question and drop it in the offering box. 
And I will try to, as much as possible, if there are big questions that keep coming in, I'll try to address them in the sermons. Uh, If I don't have time to address your question in a sermon, but you put your name on it, then I'll try to get back to you individually to discuss your question with you. But we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. It's going to be intense. It's going to be hopefully exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And today we're going to just do a high level overview of the book and introduction to set us up so we know what to expect in the coming weeks. Okay, everyone on board with that so far? And what we're going to see today is Revelation is written so that we can live for Jesus. Revelation is written so that we can live for Jesus. And our points today follow a numbers theme. We're going to look at one word, three genres, seven letters. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've spoken to us in a way that we can understand, in a way that, um, that we are able to learn from and apply to our lives. And I pray as we look at the book of Revelation that you would give us clarity, that you would give us understanding and wisdom, that you would help us to know what you're saying to us so that we can live for you and obey you in the coming weeks and months and throughout our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So first up, one word. I think if we're going to understand the book of Revelation properly, it's probably best to start with one key word. This word is one of, if not the most important words in the entire book of Revelation. I think it's the reason this book was written, okay? Are you ready for the word? The word is nikao. Exactly. Hmm? I've never heard that word before, have I? Well, the reason that you're saying hmm is because it's a Greek word, not an English word but you actually have heard this word before. And here's how I know. Because Phil Knight has made it his life's work to teach this word to every person who lives on the face of the planet. And he's spent hundreds of millions of dollars to get guys like Michael Jordan and LeBron James to teach you this word along with him. Okay, you've heard it before. You hear it all the time. Some of you may even be wearing this word on you today because this is just the verb form of the word Nike, okay? So when you hear Nikao, think Nike. But back in Bible times, Nike was not a sports clothing brand. It was just a normal word that they used in everyday life. And it it meant victory, which is why they chose it for the sports clothing company, right? And Nike meant to stand up against some opponent or foe or obstacle and conquer it. It meant to overcome whatever stood in your way. It meant to prevail. That's what nikao means. And Revelation is written to make people who read it nikao people, people who win the victory, who conquer, who overcome, who prevail. The book of Revelation, it faces us with the fact that if we are trying to follow God in this world, we're going to face trials. We're going to face difficulty we're going to suffer if we're trying to stay faithful to Jesus in this world. And the most important thing for us to do when we face suffering and trials and difficulty is nikao, to overcome these obstacles, to remain faithful to God in the midst of our trials and suffering. And to clarify, overcoming and conquering, it doesn't mean we do some great, amazing, awesome thing. It doesn't mean we do good enough to earn our salvation and make God love us. No, it it just means keeping on holding on to Jesus, staying faithful to him, no matter what comes our way to try and take us away from him. It's only 
we see in the book of Revelation, it's only because Jesus has already overcome, because Jesus has already conquered sin and death and rescued us from them, that we ourselves can be overcomers. We don't earn this victory on our own. We ride in on his coattails. We enjoy the benefits of the victory that he has already accomplished on our behalf. And God has given us the book of Revelation so that we can be Nike people, so we can be overcomers and conquerors and victors. So here's something that can maybe help you remember this. Every time this week that you're out walking and you see that swoosh on someone's shirt or shoes or you walk past the Nike store in the mall, just remember, that's the type of person God wants me to be. Not the type of person who wears those clothes, but the person who conquers in my faith by staying faithful to Jesus. And this is a message that every church needs to hear in every age, regardless of where we are or when we are. And that's why we're preaching through Revelation right now. Because I want us as a church to be aware of the fact that we live in the midst of a spiritual battle. And it's so important for us to be conquerors in the midst of that. That's what God is calling us to do in our lives. And if we're going to preach through the book of Revelation and read through it and study it properly, this reality, this word, nikao, has to be front and center in our attention. Until we get that through our heads, we're never going to read the book of Revelation properly. Revelation, it's not first and foremost given to us to help us speculate about the future of the world. No, it's given to us to give us comfort from knowing that whatever happens, God controls the future. Revelation is given to us so we can have security knowing that God's final victory and our final victory with him is secure. And because God controls the future, he's going to make sure that everything works out exactly the way it's supposed to. That the people who trust him and faithfully follow him are going to end up rewarded and honored and that those who oppose him will face his justice. And knowing that God's in control, knowing that God is guiding all of history to its proper conclusion, knowing that God wins in the end, it's meant to give us strength and energy and courage and resolve to stand for him today, to conquer and overcome no matter how hard things get. So here's what this means. God didn't give us the book of Revelation so that we could sit down with the book of Revelation in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand and try and read the headlines and track out where exactly in this book we are today. God gave us Revelation so that no matter what the headlines are in the newspaper today, no matter what the world throws at us, you and I can remain faithful to him. God gave us Revelation so that we wouldn't be shaken by the suffering and turmoil we face in the world, but instead we would stand secure and rock solid on Jesus as our anchor in every storm of life. God didn't give us revelation so we could speculate about some hypothetical possible future world that could happen. No, he gave it to us so we can be equipped to live in the real world today in a way that honors him. And if we can keep that in mind as we read this book, we're gonna be miles ahead of where most people are as they start reading this book. So as we look at Revelation, the key question I want us to keep asking ourselves is how is this helping equip me to conquer by staying faithful to Jesus? Because that's the goal of this book, to equip us to stay faithful to Jesus, to be conquerors by staying faithful to him. 
And every part of this book is written with that goal in mind, equipping us to be faithful to Jesus, even the genres that it is written in, which brings us to three genres. Now, in case you've forgotten from high school English, a genre is just a style of literature, like poetry or narrative. Um, And Revelation actually is a combination of three genres. But each of these genres is used with the goal of making us overcomers. So the first genre is an epistle, which is just a fancy way of saying it's a letter. We see this in chapter one, verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. It's a letter written by someone to someone else in a specific place and time. The New Testament is full of letters from different people to different churches. And pretty much across the board, these letters are written to help the church face difficulties and work through tough situations in a way that honors God. Letters are meant to encourage people to hold on to their faith and to stay faithful to God. And so in that way, Revelation is no different than any other New Testament letter. It's meant to equip us to stay faithful to God. It's also important to realize the fact that it's a letter means it meant something to its original audience. And whatever it meant for them is gonna be connected to what it means for us today. It was written to a specific group of churches to help equip them to find real world encouragement for real world trials and suffering they were facing in their own day. And since it addresses real world situations and problems that its original recipients were facing, we should expect it's also gonna address real world problems and situations that we face in our lives today. Not just in some distant future, but today in our lives, it's it's designed to equip us to face the things that are going to come our way. And it does that so that we can be overcomers in the face of whatever stands in our way. So it's very important that Revelation is a letter, an epistle. Second, Revelation is prophecy. We see this in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud these words of this prophecy. It's right there. I think most of us today, when we hear the word prophecy, we think of predicting the future, telling what's going to happen far out in advance. And biblical prophecy does have some elements of that, but far more often, biblical prophecy is actually about giving God's perspective on events that are happening right now in the world. It's saying, as you look at the world, you see it through this lens, through this certain perspective, but God sees it differently. And prophecy is his way of pulling back the curtain so we can see things through his perspective. And again, God gives us this perspective to show us his way of seeing things so that we can live as conquerors and overcomers, so that we can nikao, so that we can remain faithful to him no matter what we face in life. So one of the things that we see again and again and again in the book of Revelation is that the kings and rulers of the earth oppose God. They act wickedly, they oppress God's people, they do things like make it impossible for God's people to buy and sell and do business, they lock God's people up in prison, they even sometimes kill God's people. From a human perspective, all along, it looks like God and his people are losing. But what's one of the first peaks behind the curtain that God gives us in Revelation? Look at chapter 1, verse 5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. No matter what it looks like in our circumstances, Jesus is on the throne. 
No matter how bleak things may look right now for God and his people, God's victory is never for a second in doubt. No king or ruler of the earth is able to do a single thing against God or his people unless God allows it, and he's only going to allow it if it's for the good of his people. And Jesus will hold all the kings and rulers of the earth responsible for their rebellion against him and their persecution of his people. Jesus is the one who's on the throne, no matter what it looks like. And so if I know and I'm convinced that Jesus is the ruler of the kings on earth, that's going to give me such stability when the world around me dissolves into chaos. That's going to give me such strength to stay faithful to him, to be an overcomer, because I've had this glimpse into the deeper reality of the universe, God's perspective on things. And again, if, if prophecy is more about giving us God's perspective on reality than just showing us the future, we should expect most of what's covered in the book of Revelation isn't going to be stuff about far off in the distant future. It actually has to do with the world its original readers were living in and the world we live in right now. It's written about life in our real world to equip us to conquer by remaining faithful to Jesus. So Revelation is a letter, it's prophecy. The third genre, the one we're probably least familiar with, is called apocalyptic. We see this in the very first word of the book. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ in English. That word revelation is the Greek word apokalupsos, which is where we get the word apocalyptic from. And apocalyptic is a genre where the authors say they're passing on heavenly mysteries that were revealed to them by an angel. So apocalyptic is like some angel came, showed me something, and I'm telling you what the angel revealed to me. And they tell in apocalyptic about the things that God has done in history with his people and in the world, and they carry that future of what God has done in the past into the future, all the way up to the point where God's kingdom breaks into our world. And they do this for the sake of, can anyone guess? Equipping us to be faithful and living for God today. They tell us the story of God's work in the world. They bring it forward into the future and show God's ultimate victory so that we know we can stay on God's side and keep fighting for him because he's going to win in the end. If we know how the story of history ends, we'll be better equipped to find our place properly in that story today. Apocalyptic is meant to equip us to be conquerors, to be overcomers, to nikao. And The genre of apocalyptic gives us two big hints when it comes to reading and interpreting Revelation. First, the writers of apocalyptic usually use lots of symbolism in their writing. So when we see things like colors and images and numbers that keep repeating on and on in the book of Revelation, there's a good chance that many of those are meant to be taken symbolically, not literally. And if you're freaking out right now because you're like, but pastor, shouldn't we read the Bible literally? The answer is yes, if it's written in a genre that's meant to be read literally. If we're reading a historical narrative, uh, an account of what happened in history, we're meant to read that literally. But we follow the rules of the genre genre we're reading. If you try to read a poem literally, you're going to rob it of all its power. You're going to rob it of what makes it a poem. And so we should read the Bible like we read any piece of literature, which means we follow the rules of the genre the author chose to write it in. Does that make sense? 
You with me so far? Okay, so that means we might not always read it literally, but we're always reading it literarily or according to the rules of literature. We're, we're taking it seriously. We're trying to understand what the original author wanted us to understand from it. Which means if God chose to reveal the book of Revelation to us in a genre that's known for lots of symbolism, we should expect to find lots of symbolism there. And even this symbolism is there for the sake of, guess what? Equipping us to be overcomers by staying faithful to Jesus. Because symbolic images and colors and numbers, they grip our imagination in a way that just straight up facts can't. They put pictures in our minds that as we go out into the world and we get these pictures deeply rooted in our minds, we start to see these realities in ways that we wouldn't see them if we were just told straight facts. The more deeply these images reshape our imagination, the more we're going to see the realities they stand for popping up in our day-to-day lives all over the place. And the more we see that reality around us, the better equipped we're going to be to face it properly. So that's the first clue. The second clue for understanding Revelation properly comes from the fact that apocalyptic typically has to do with life in the last days, which I realize is probably one of the big questions a lot of people have when they think of the book of Revelation. Are we living in the last days? And I think biblically the answer is yes, and we have been for the past 2,000 years. Yes, and we have been for the past 2,000 years. Because biblically, the last days start with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Like if you look at Acts chapter 2, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, they've just received the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he quotes an Old Testament prophecy about the last days. And he tells everyone, this prophecy is being fulfilled right here, right now in your presence. He can only say that if he, at that moment 2,000 years ago, is already living in the last days. And if you want more Bible verses to uh, look at, we don't have time to go through all of these right now, but we put them up on the screen. You can snap a photo of it and look them up at home later on. One that I'll draw your attention to, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, again, written about 2,000 years ago. He says 2,000 years ago, it's not only the last days, it is the last hour. And so biblically, humanity has been living in the last days for the past 2,000 years. And how is it possible that we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years? Well, because biblically, according to the Bible, the last days simply means that from the perspective of God's work in the world, no more major events need to happen before Jesus can come back. So in the Old Testament, Jesus couldn't return until he had come the first time. So something big needs to happen before Jesus can return. For the people living on earth during the life of Jesus, he has to die and come back to life and ascend to heaven before he can come back again. So it's still not the last days. Even after Jesus ascends to heaven, they've still got this promise of the Holy Spirit that's going to come. But once the Holy Spirit has come, God's promises for the things that need to happen before Jesus returns The big things are done, which means Jesus can return any moment. That's what it means to live in the last days, to live in the days when Jesus could return at any moment, to be constantly called to be ready because we never know the day or time or moment that he's coming back. And Revelation is written about life in the last days, 
which just happens to be the days that we live in. So Revelation is written to help us be ready, to help us nikao, to overcome. It's written about the days we live in and continues into the future, yes, to show how the story ends so that we can be encouraged by that. But at the most fundamental level, the bulk of the book of Revelation is written about the time period that we live in. It's written about our real world. We should expect that it has a ton to say to us about life in the real world and what it looks like for us to be faithful to God in that world today. So even the literary style of the book of Revelation is written to equip us to be conquerors. That's the big thing I want you to remember today. Revelation is written to help us overcome, to help us be victors, to be conquerors, to nikao. And there's one more element of this start of the book that I want to look at to show how it equips us to be conquerors. And that's seven letters. Now, I already mentioned Revelation, it's a letter to seven churches. If we look at chapters two and three, there are actually seven separate letters, one to each of those churches, talking to them about the circumstances that they're facing and encouraging them to stay faithful to God in the midst of them. And I also mentioned numbers in Revelation are often significant. Well, I'm going to give you a hint right here. The number seven is a hugely symbolic number in the book of Revelation. It stands for completion and perfection, like the seven days of creation. God makes everything completely in those seven days. The number seven in the book of Revelation, it's a number of completion and perfection. And so these seven churches, they are seven literal real churches from the area of they call it Asia, which in Bible times is what we know as Turkey. So seven churches in the area of Turkey, there's seven real literal churches, but in the area where these churches are or were, there were other churches. These weren't the only seven churches. It's not like God said, I'm going to send a letter to all the churches in this area. He chose seven specific ones. Why? Because he wanted it to carry the symbolism of the number seven, completion, perfection. These churches are actually meant, yes, they are literal churches, but they're also meant to be symbolic of all churches through all time, the completion and perfection and fullness of God's church. So the the things that are written to these churches are written in a way so that they mean something for us too. They're not written to us, but they are written for us. And and like I said, in chapters two and three, each of these churches is addressed individually. And you could do an entire sermon about each of these individual letters and do a seven-week series on that. I think the bridge actually did that in the past under a previous pastor. We're doing the entire book in nine weeks, so we don't have time for that right now. Uh, Instead, I'm just going to draw out some big themes that run through all the letters and show how they are meant to equip us to nikao today. And so there are four themes. We're going to look at them really briefly, and then you can dig into them more on your own in the coming week if you want. Theme number one, every church is called to listen to Jesus. Every church is called to listen to Jesus. Every single one of these seven letters near the end of it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In our world today, more than ever before, we are surrounded by so many different voices telling us how to live the best life possible. And whatever voice we listen to, whatever interpretation of reality we choose to live by, it's going to shape the way we live our lives and it's going to shape the people we become. 
And right here at the start of this book, God is inviting all of us into true life by inviting us to align our understanding of reality with his. It's only when our lives are continuously being built around God's word and his understanding of reality that we're actually going to live as overcomers, as conquerors. And no church ever reaches the place where it moves beyond the need to continually hear from God's word. That's what we see from these letters. So if we're going to be the church that God called us to be, if we as individuals are going to be the the people that God calls us to be, that's not going to come from our own wisdom or skill or ingenuity. It's only going to happen from us listening to God's word that he has spoken to the church by building our lives around his understanding of reality rather than what we see at face value. So continually listening to God's word is essential if we're going to be the conquerors that God calls us to be. Second, appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. If you go through all seven of these letters, basically every church faces some situation where things look one way on the outside, but then when we see the deeper reality, what looks to be the case on the outside is not true at all. You can take these two letters we read today as an example. In Ephesus, they're full of good works. They're they're doing lots of things that look great, but they're completely empty on love. Their church looks great on the outside, but their relationship with God has become like a loveless marriage where they just keep going through the motions out of habit, but the passion and the excitement is completely gone. They look great, but the relationship is dead. On the flip side, this second church in Smyrna, they appear poor, but God says, actually, you're rich. What looks to be the case on the outside is not actually the case. And this theme continues throughout the book. Again, world leaders continually oppose God and his people, and they look super powerful for a season. But in the end, we see them for the powerless beings that they truly are. The church, God's people, is imprisoned and persecuted and oppressed and looks weak and powerless. And in the end, guess what? They're the ones who are seated on thrones reigning with Jesus. The way that things look right now is not what's really real about the world. The world's categories and ways of classifying things carry absolutely zero weight with God, which means that if we want to live as overcomers, we need to be very, very careful because we're all going to naturally by default assume the way things appear to be is the way they really are. But reality isn't always what it appears to be to our eyes. So if we assume, you know what, we're a really small church. We must not be able to do anything significant for God. If he wants to do anything great in Hong Kong, he's going to use some church down the street that's 10 times as big as us. If we let the appearances dictate how we understand reality, we're going to miss out on awesome opportunities God gives us to do amazing things as a church. Or if we look at different people in the church who maybe appear spiritually strong and we assume, you know, this person seems to have their walk with God all set. They don't need any extra help or encouragement in growing from me. We're going to miss out on opportunities to give them encouragement and support and accountability that they need in order to truly live as a conqueror. In order for us to live as the conquerors that God has called us to be, we need to learn to look beyond surface level appearances and see God's perspective on reality because appearances can be deceiving. The third truth we see in these letters is that every single church faces temptation to turn from God. No church is safe from that temptation. 
It's a universal experience of the Christian life for us as individuals and as a group that the mark of a faithful church isn't to avoid temptation and suffering. It's to hold on faithfully to Jesus in the midst of temptation and suffering. And if we're going to live as conquerors, as overcomers, as victors, it's essential that we understand this. Because if we don't understand this, then whenever we face temptation or suffering, we're going to think we're failing. We're going to think we're losing. But that's not true. Actually, temptation and suffering, yes, they're obstacles that need to be overcome, but without obstacles to overcome, you can never truly be an overcomer, right? An overcomer means that you've conquered something that stood in your way. These are the things that stand in our way that allow us to truly be overcomers and conquerors. Without them, we don't have anything to overcome. Temptation and suffering, they are to be expected in the Christian life. And we need to prepare proactively to respond to them if we're going to be faithful to God. And it's not going to be easy because in the moment we face them, we're going to feel like we're losing. We're going to feel like we're being beaten down and there's no hope of ever being victorious, which is why Revelation gives us this view behind the curtain to show us that Jesus is on the throne. And because Jesus is on the throne, victory is secure. Our circumstances right now do not change that truth and they never will. All Christians, all churches will face temptation, will face suffering, will have things that are trying to pull us away from Jesus. And God warns us in advance that that's going to happen so we can be ready for it when we come and we can live as overcomers. And then fourth, every single church is called to overcome or conquer or be victorious, to nikao. And every church is promised rewards for overcoming. God calls every single church to do this. That's God's goal for us as we try to live for him in the face of opposition, that we would overcome and prevail and conquer and be victors. God doesn't give us this book or these letters to beat us down. God doesn't give us these things to condemn us. No, he gives us the book of Revelation because he wants us to be victorious. He's cheering for us. He's equipping us to be able to do the things that he has called us to do. And again, the key to victory is remembering that the battle has already been won. If you're a Christian, your victory is already won. It is secure. It is held safe by Jesus, the ruler of the kings on earth. For you to be victorious, all you have to do is keep holding on to him. It doesn't require anything spectacular or amazing on your part. It just requires faithfulness. And he promises that if we are faithful in holding on to him, no matter what we face, no matter what comes at us and tries to tear our grip away from him, if we hold on to him, he will bring us through victorious. And he calls us to overcome, to be victorious. And that is awesome news for us. Because you know what that means? It means it's not too late for any of us. Some of these churches that he writes to were an absolute mess. And yet he still gives them this call to overcome and a promise of rewards if they do. It means that if we are still alive to hear this call and to hear this promise, we still have the opportunity to respond to him in faith and to become conquerors, to become overcomers, to receive that reward. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter the ways you failed before. It doesn't matter if you've spent your entire life saying, God, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. Today, there is an invitation to you to be a conqueror, 
to trust in Jesus, to align your understanding of reality with his and to become faithful to him moving forward. It doesn't matter if you in the past have made great, amazing promises to God and said, God, I will stand for you no matter what. I will always do the right thing. And then you have crashed and burned and failed. If that's you, God's invitation to you today is come back, be an overcomer. Live this victorious life in Jesus that I have invited you to live, a life of faithfulness to me. If you're here and you're doing well at this, then that's great, but keep going. That's his call to you. Keep going, keep staying faithful. And God offers us rewards if we will stay faithful to him, no matter what we face in life that tries to pull us away. Church, God has given us the book of Revelation because he wants to set us up for victory in the Christian life. He wants to equip us to overcome every obstacle that would keep us from faithfully following him. So he's pulled back the curtain. He's given us a glimpse into the way that he sees reality in order to help us live faithfully to him. And so in the next couple of months, we're going to dive in deeper and look at the rest of the book and see what this book has to say to teach us about living faithfully to Jesus, about being overcomers for him. But for now, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book, for the way that you speak to us in it and the way that you use it to equip us to follow you. Thank you that you want us to be overcomers, that you have won the victory for us and you just invite us to join in that victory. God, I pray that you would make us people who are overcomers, who live for you and trust in you and hold on to you no matter what we face in life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we saw in our sermon today that God calls us to be conquerors. He calls us to be overcomers. One of the verses we didn't dig that deep into, the second half of chapter one, verse five, says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. As we discussed in the sermon, the, the victory that God calls us to win is actually sharing in the victory that Jesus already won for us. The victory on the cross where he died for us to pay the price for our sin and our failure and our rebellion against God to set us free so we can have a new relationship with God. And if we're gonna live faithfully to him, we need a constant awareness of what Jesus has done for us. But the reality is we forget. Again and again and again, we forget. Picard understands our weakness. He cares for us. He wants us to be able to live as overcomers. And so in order to equip us to do that, he's built these rhythms into the life of the church to help us remember. And one of those rhythms is communion. In communion, we, we eat the bread and drink the wine to remember that Jesus died for us that the victory is secure and that we are now on God's side, that we are his partners to live in that victorious life that he has called us to. And so I want to invite our ushers to come forward to distribute communion for us today. As we take communion, I just want to remind you that this is for Christians. This is for people who have trusted in Jesus, who have said, yes, I, I trust in him. I want to follow him. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. I want to invite you to just let these elements go past. There's no pressure to take them or anything like that. Um, just let them go past. And, and also, one of the things that's amazing about communion is that it's a celebration of the fact that God has taken people from all different backgrounds and formed us into one body, one family. And so as we get ready to take communion, if you realize that you have some type of conflict with someone else who's part of this body, I want to encourage you, go, go talk to them. You can just walk across the room and, and chat with them. 
um, and work through that together um, because we want this to be a time of celebration of, of the unity that God has given us as his people. So we're going to distribute the elements right now and then in just a minute I'll come back up and we can take them together as a church family.